Hello and welcome to Theater 42, a virtual art house cinema. The only place to watch films in theaters at home in comfort. So join our Kickstarter campaign and enter for your chance to win the golden ticket with unlimited access to live shows, events, and films. To learn more, visit our website at theater42.org. That's theater42.org. And soon you'll be well on your way to a lifetime of cinema. For early access, exclusive content, and so much more, go to patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. That's patreon.com slash lifethroughfiction. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. Let's talk about My Darling Clementine. Before we get started today, next week we're going to be watching The Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Andrew, you suggested that we watch a film directed by a woman because we've only watched one. I think we've only watched one. So uh, <laughs> we decided to uh, grow our repertoire a bit, but I did get to pick the movie. Uh, I tried to look for something older, but honestly, other than Agne Agnes Verda, I couldn't think of much. I guess my own uh, female filmmaker repertoire is sort of small so I picked the portrait of a lady on fire because I thought it was a very beautifully made film and I'm pretty excited to watch it again but this week we watched a John Ford film one of the greatest western directors of all time you were just like I want to watch like a noir movie and I picked this movie because I know it's in black and white <laughs> therefore it's a noir but honestly like of all the noirs I've seen, this is like more like a Western noir almost. It kind of is, and it honestly looks and honestly looks better than almost all Western all noir films I've seen from this time as well. Like I, I'm gonna like seriously, I'm not even fucking capping, dude. Like it is one of the, it might be the greatest movie ever shot in black and white. I'm not gonna disagree with you there. It looks absolutely spectacular. I don't know which uh, like version you watched, but whatever version i watched like the restoration is absolutely beautiful and the film just looks gorgeous i mean you know john ford is really at his height here and it, every single shot just looks beautiful this is a movie too that john ford didn't want to make god damn he was under contract to make another movie and he didn't want to make it so this is him like <laughs> so this is him like making a movie just because he had to which is unbelievable with john ford i've only watched a few um, the first one I watched was Stagecoach, which was good. And then also this past week, I watched The Searchers, which we'll, I'll talk about in the after show. But yeah, like John Ford, obviously, like so much has been said about him that it's kind of hard to kind of kind of like discuss, like, I don't know why he's so good or why he's so important. He's definitely, you know, one of the greatest directors. And I think like um, uh, Will Sloan, who's like a really good uh, letterbox reviewer. Um, good writer. He uh, has this good five-star review for Wagon Master from like 1950, where he says, uh, uh, he says, quote, one filmmaker repeatedly attempted nothing less than to encapsulate the motley nature of America and her people. And that filmmaker was John Ford. And I, I think that I couldn't have said it better myself. No, absolutely. I think John Ford just has a certain eye for us. I mean, obviously not all of his films are Westerns, but a good majority of his many, many films are. And John Ford, you know, he was someone really early on who fought the studio system. Uh, of course, he famously, when he would shoot films, he wouldn't shoot any sort of coverage because early in his career, they were not allowed, directors were not allowed, like in the editing room, they were not allowed to be part of that process. And so he would just refuse to shoot coverage. Like he'd only shoot the shot that he needed, which I mean, you know, along with being just very economical and saving a lot of time, it kind of forced them to make the film that he wanted to make. He was someone who absolutely despised the studio system, but spent most of his career working within the studio system because I mean, at the time it was kind of hard not to, unless you were like a Buster Keaton or a Charlie Chaplin. And, you know, towards the end of their careers, they kind of got stuck in the studio system too. So you're kind of trapped in that system. And John Ford definitely made the best of it. And the fact that he didn't want to make this film and made it anyways is just very uh, John Fordian, I would say. 
Yeah, and 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 his movies aren't like all super fancy. From a production level, they are because they build huge sets and people are riding on horses all the time and there are gunfights and stuff. But when it comes to like filming, when it comes to like the editing and filmmaking, um, the fanciest he gets with like I don't know, like camera trickery is like when is maybe like is maybe when he does his like push-ins, his famous push-ins, push-in close-ups. Um, he doesn't like really like fuck with like the editing. Like he doesn't do any kind of like effects or anything like that. Um, he just kind of like keeps, you know, everything, you know, he really just, like you said, he's very economical. He only gets what he really needs. Um, and he knows exactly what he needs. It just perfectly. You really got to love John Ford. I mean, he's just a man who thrives in his simplicity. And I think of all of the directors kind of of this era and, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s. He's perhaps one of the simplest directors, I guess we could say, in the sense of there's nothing super, like, complicated about his shots necessarily. I mean, right, we're not talking like an Orson Welles who's has, like, these six-minute opening shots. I mean, there's something very simple in the way. Yeah, yeah like, yeah, like, Wells is very interested in, like, kind of crazy editing and, and, and sequences and stuff like that and, like, montages. And there are no, like, montages in John Ford movies, at least, at least from the ones that I've seen. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen, I've seen quite a few now. And all this stuff, I would say, you know, John Ford is kind of like Alfred Hitchcock to, like, in the sense that even when he's, like, only hitting, like, 50%, it's still just so much better than most of what most people are doing like this guy just does not miss he, he rocks he absolutely rocks um of course like a very large personality of course um absolutely crazy guy well maybe not crazy but he he was like an enigma of sorts i highly recommend in preparation for watching this movie i watched the um peter bogdanovich uh produced and directed documentary about john ford called directed by john ford and it's a great documentary because um, it's not really a documentary. It's more just kind of like a celebration of John Ford, like talking about how great he was and why he's so great. Um, but it's almost two hours long and it's great because like it came out in the two thousands, but Bogdanovich combines interviews from like 2006 that he did with like very big filmmakers like Scorsese, Spielberg, Walter, Walter Hill, Clint Eastwood, of course. But he also combines like interviews that he did in 1969 with John Wayne, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart, and of course, John Ford. And his interviews with John Ford are really great. Uh, Bogdanovich, he asks him like, uh, he's just doesn't give a shit. He like at Bogdanovich, um, he asks him like, like, Mr. Ford, how did you uh, shoot that uh, sequence in Ford Apache? And he says, with a camera. <laughs> he's crazy. He's so awesome. <laughs> He he looked really cool too. He wears like an eye patch and he had like an LA Dodgers hat on and he's like, they're in the desert. Like for some reason they're in the desert. I'm assuming he was shooting a movie, but who even knows if he was or not? I don't even know. Yeah. He's like in the middle. He was like very scenic, like background. Like I highly recommend that movie. If you love John Ford and you just, you know, want to watch like a celebration of him or if you want to get into him. That's absolutely wonderful. I, I love that. But the movie, my darling Clementine, we should probably. Yeah, it rocks. It does rock. The great Henry Fonda. I actually watched another Henry Fonda movie in, in preparation for this. And I can say Henry Fonda probably has one of the best voices in Hollywood. I just love his voice. Yeah, he's he's a great. Yeah, I've never seen him in any movies before. And so like yeah, this is the first movie I've seen him in. And he's great because, you know, he's just like an actor who has like a very um he has very sense he's a very sensitive voice and he has a very sensitive eyes. Yeah, there's something kind of uh, sweet about his nature. Um, and yeah, he kills the role. He absolutely crushes it. I mean, it, it, great performances all around here. And how do you not when you're working with the great John Ford? But when I was turning on this movie, it had like the little rating thing and it said PG and it was like violence, language or something. And then the last thing was dated cultural depictions, which I guess just means like oh, no. slight racism, which I think John Ford famously worked really well with the Native American community. And a lot of like his films, he was like very sure to like actually hire, you know, natives for the roles and not just white people in which like they just painted a certain color. But uh, some of his movies don't exactly put natives in the best light. I don't think this is, I mean, like, I guess there's like one scene at the beginning in which like there's a drunk native, but him being native is doesn't really have much to 
to do with anything. They just point out the fact that he is, and you know, obviously, there's uh, yeah, that's the thing about the Western genre of this time is that like it is like kind of and and in in some of the things too with like Law and Order, right? Because that's kind of the one of the things about the movie is that the Earth Brothers they bring Law and Order to the town of Tombstone. It's it is like like a pretty conservative genre of uh, movie, you know, like westerns of this time. Um, and I, I also really love spaghetti Westerns, of course, because they kind of, um, take those ideas and they kind of like flip them around to kind of like make a, make a, like make a commentary on the fact that like these like values or ideas are, um, skewed or they are a, a fantasy. Um, but, 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 you know, like, I don't mind like a, a Western of this time that's done well, like my, especially like my darling Clementine, it's, I think it's a powerful enough movie and it has like really strong, just like, you know, writing and characters to really pull it through, even though some of the ideas are pretty dated and pretty, um, yeah, not, uh, not aged well. Um, but yeah, it's, but the movie itself has, is still fantastic in every way. I mean, it, it's absolutely wonderful. We get to be our, our hero, uh, Henry Fonda and like this nice, gorgeous, scruffy beard, which I've never seen Henry Fonda in a beard before, because no one's, you know, it's the forties, no one's. No one has beards in the 40s and 50s. They have mustaches sometimes. Yeah, sometimes great mustache. Great mustache in this movie, I would say. <laughs> yeah, of course. Certainly yeah. say. But he's he's got his cattle and he's with his like brothers, like his three or four brothers. Yeah, he's got like three brothers. It's the Ur- it's the Earp yes. brothers. <laughs> the, yeah. This this story is also based off like the White Earp biography. It's like basically a fictionalized biography about White Earp and his life. And yeah, you're right. Like it's the Earp brothers and it's like post-Civil War time, and they got their cattle. And they're moving them through to Mexico because, you know, that's that's what you do because you're a cowboy. And Oh, no, they're going to California, right? They're eventually going to Mexico because I think he wants to sell them in Mexico. But they're going through, they're going to go through California oh, okay. and then Mexico. This guy, like this old man, and his like 20 sons, his like five sons, want to like buy these cattle. And he's like, no, no, we're going to, you know, he's got he's got to take them to Mexico. He's got to. He's got to do what he, he's got to do, but, but first they have to stop in, in Tombstone. Yeah, Ford Ford clearly, he right away signifies who the protagonists and antagonists are. Right away. Sure does. <laughs> the bad guys are wearing, they're wearing all black and like, and like uh, Wyatt Earp, he's wearing white. Jen Ford is not a man of subtleties. He's like, and this is true in a lot of his movies, like the bad guys, good guys, you know who they are immediately. It's pretty clear. Like they're, they're terrible humans. And you're like, okay, which is fine. I mean, it works, you know, he's the bad guys. He's the good guys. I mean, Henry Fonda in this role is just so, so lovable. Yeah. He's chill. He's chill as fuck. But like you said, they go to tombstone and they leave their youngest brother behind to kind of just like check over everything and to watch the cattle. Yeah. And then this, in the, in the, in the first scene, when they arrive in tombstone is extremely hilarious because they're just like, we need a shave. We need a, we need a shave. And <laughs> they go into the barber and they start shaving. And all of a sudden there's a shootout. And I just love this sequence because three times Wyatt Earp is like, what kind of town is this? He's, he, he reads that line three times in the scene because he's just like, yeah, he just for some reason can't believe it that there's like a shootout. And he's like, I'm trying to get a shave and there's like a shootout. What the hell? It's so funny. Right by this point, John Ford had been making Westerns for like 20 years. So he's very familiar with the genre. And sometimes I forget. You no, know, he, he, you know, he, he knew Wyatt Earp too. Did you know that? Seriously, I I did not know this. That that's that's a fucking weird thing about John Ford. He's like a million years old by the time it's like the 1950s and 60s, right? Yeah. And he's still making his best movies by this time. So like he like kind of was like around people who like lived in the West and like who were like so it's like he's crazy like perspective. That's absolutely insane. But I was just going to say you have someone who has been in the genre for so long, someone who basically invented the western genre in so many senses. He has uh, a very keen eye for kind of the the tropes of it, and he's I I, I forget sometimes how funny his films can be, and you know he, he's definitely someone who's a bit tongue in cheek about not so much his earlier uh, westerns; they are definitely a lot more serious. But definitely with his kind of later westerns, he definitely pokes fun at his own filmmaking and some of the tropes of the genre. You know, especially like. Uh, you know, this town isn't big enough for the both of us and, and all that kind of stuff, which is fun. Yeah. And I, li- I like the, uh, like, I like the funny bit where 
well, yeah. So like this, like we talked about, like this, uh, this Indian person is uh, shooting and is drunk and shooting everywhere. And why it's like telling the marshal, like, hey, are you going to like stop it? And he's like, I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> it's like, okay. And why it's like, well, I'm going to get him. And he like climbs up into that window and you hear, a, you don't see anything, but you hear like uh, women screaming. And he's like, oh, sorry, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a, they're in like a brothel. And he's like, oh, sorry, ladies. Like, that's like a funny little joke. Like it's very, uh, they're jokes, like a joke like that, like, a, like an ass that, that aspect of like, when he goes in there and like the women scream, it's, it's funny, you know, it's like, oh, that's like cute. It's funny. Um, but it also adds like a lot of detail and it adds a lot of like personality to the town and also to the people who live there. Um, this is a movie that I think is 100% concerned with its characters and the way that they feel. Um, you know, John Ford doesn't do a lot of close-ups on people. It's not like he does it all the time. But when he does, it's always, always great because it's always a necessary close-up and you can always, it's always the best close-up that the actor can give. Because And yeah, like I said, he's just completely concerned with the characters. Yeah, absolutely. And it shows, right, this moment is a very smart way of kind of showing how the town reacts and how these different people kind of play different roles within the town and also how the great uh, Henry Fonda doesn't come in guns a-blazing, right, and is just shooting away, but how he kind of utilizes his his smarts to uh, outwit the quote-unquote bad guy in this situation. Yeah, he doesn't kill him. He just kind of kicks him mm-hmm. out. He just hits him with a rock. And they're like, who are you? And he's like, I'm Wyatt Earp. And at this point, like Wyatt Earp has like a reputation as like a really good marshal, right? And they're like, you should be the marshal. And he's like, no, we're cattle drivers now. Sorry. See you later. And then they leave. And then, of course, immediately on leaving, they find the youngest brother has been murdered. Yeah. And all the cattle has been stolen. And their and cattle stolen. Everything's fucked. And he's pissed. Yeah, he's fucking mad. I love that scene, uh, like not too long after that, where he visits his uh, the grave of his uh, brother. It's a very sweet scene. See, that's why I like these like John Ford westerns are so good. Uh, there, there's kind of like a, a, a very, very clear sweetness to them. They're not too dark. They can be really fucking violent. Um, a lot of the violence though is like kind of off camera for the most part, but they do kind of have this like sweetness to it that I really like. Yeah, John Ford is a very optimistic i mean some of his stuff isn't necessarily this optimistic but i would say a lot of his stuff has this sort of uh optimistic undertone of like the goodness of people i think john Ford is someone in a lot of his films who believes very much in kind of good and evil and you know the the righteousness of goodness and how goodness prevails in the end and this is certainly a case where you know this is a very uh why it's a very righteous man who who does what he believes is best for the town and and uh, you know every action right it's always for what's what's best for the people right and what you were saying is that like so he's like pissed off that his brother's dead so he's like all right well i guess i'll be the marshal and so now he's the marshal i like that little uh, encounter that he has with the clanton people and he's just like yeah i'm the marshal now and they kind of laugh at him and he's like and then he like says that he's white ear and their like smiles dissipate because they because he has a reputation. That's a really good scene. And he is just so badass. And every scene they have in the saloon, which there's there's a lot of scenes in the saloon. <laughs> there's a lot. The movie, the movie takes place over just a couple of days. I think it's like three or four days. But so much, so many things happen. And and like really like and when they're in the saloon and hanging out in the saloon, that whole part of the movie is like a really big part of it. I think you're talking about when he goes to gamble, right? That's like a like a large part of the movie. The set design of the saloon is absolutely wonderful. It's it's a really good looking. I mean, the lighting is great. It looks great, and you know everything is really well thought out here. And of course, you know, being an old western, there's some gambling going on and some cheating being done. And yeah, Chihuahua. You're introduced to the character of Chihuahua. <laughs> Chihuahua. She's like a she like hangs out there and. <laughs> She's like a like a young woman and like a white earpiece, like playing poker with these guys, and she's helping one of the guys cheat. And then there's that scene, of course, where he gets upset, white earp, and he throws her like in a thing of like a like a like a trough of water, a trough of water, <laughs> which is unbelievable. It's a very just like well, okay, again, just kind of showing his uh, high sense of morals and his place in the world. And then right after that, we're introduced to the great doc holiday. Yeah. Let's go. I didn't like playing on this, but like maybe like a couple of weeks ago, I watched the George P. Cosmatos, um, movies tombstone. 
which is basically this story but different. It's like like Kurt Russell plays wide Earp. And like his like he's got like his brothers are played by Bill Paxton, who's like the guy with like the mustache, who's like in the big Lebowski. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He like plays with his older brother and Val Kilmer plays uh, Doc Holliday. It's established in my darling Clementine that like uh, Doc Holliday is like sick. I think he has like tuberculosis or something like that, even though they don't outright say it. And uh, in Tombstone, like Val Kilmer just like really like leans into being sick. Cause they like, they make him the whole movie. They make him look like really wet and pale. Like they put on like white makeup on him to make him look really white and horribly sick. And he's just like sick the whole movie. Yeah. He, he, he killed it. He was good. Uh, Tombstone's a good movie. If you, it's like a nineties Western, but I like, I like my darling Clementine more. It's more rich. I'll say the Doc Holiday. I know it seems Tombstone, but it's perhaps a little more uh, subtle, at least in the, area of consumption i mean you don't i even think you know at the beginning that he's sick i think it takes a a minute before we learn i mean we right they never like have a conversation but you can tell from he like coughs a lot yeah he he arrives and he's he's a badass you know he basically kind of owns the town victor mature i play by plays him he's very good kind of reminds me of robert mitchum a little bit yeah he plays honestly like you know, Wyatt Earp is like, you know, the main protagonist. He's like the martial hero, but really like a big part of the movie is also his stuff as well. And his like dilemmas and things that's going on in his life. It's really a big part of the movie, if not the biggest part. Yeah. I mean, in some ways you could argue that really Doc Holliday is our protagonist here and why it's more of kind of like the, uh, you know, great Gatsby style narrator who's kind of sitting in the background and watching everything go down. Cause right. Wyatt isn't from the town. And so he's, he's like our outsider, right? He's the classic outsider comes into the town where doc holiday, you know, he, he runs this town. Yeah. And then he leaves at the end of the movie too. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, that's a classic John Ford protagonist. You know, you arrive in a town, you, because you want to fix something. And then uh, once things are resolved, you leave what well, resolved quote unquote, but they, they like, they hit it off. They, basically meet each other and 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 the, the 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 scenes with them together are really great throughout the whole movie because they have kind of like this weird friendship kind of frenemy thing going on yeah the relationship is it's really intriguing they become very close they have this you know at the beginning they hate each other but then like is he the bad you never know if doc holiday is kind of like this bad guy or this good guy and of course in like the end obviously you know everything turns out the way it should but Doc Holliday always has this sort of mysteriousness that underlies everything that he does. Where, whereas opposed to like Wire, you know, he's like the, you know, he's like an angel, right, sent from heaven. He's like this, this, this perfect human who never does wrong. And Doc Holliday is more of this mysterious sort of underdog. But they seem to to hit it off pretty quickly. And I mean, like you know, Doc is obviously very like skeptical of Wyatt. He doesn't really want him around, but like you said, they kind of like strike something. And so he like invites him to go to like that play or show in town. Right. It's like the same night. And and then that part is of course very funny. Cause you know, you like they go there and like the, the presenter, he goes on stage and he's like, all right, just want to go let you guys know. Uh, the first act and the second act are not here. So they can't do it. Of course. And like, there's that really funny, great scene where like, they like, kind of like beat a rough them up and they're like we're gonna like t- we're gonna time to the beam and like carry him around <laughs> we're gonna ride him around town and why it's like wait, wait, wait like chill chill out <laughs> like like let me go find him first let me go like give me like 15 minutes to go find like the actor guy and i'll bring him back you, you guys don't have to like they're like we're gonna like we're gonna i think they're we're gonna drag him around town or something like that it's so funny a lot of mob violence going on I like that scene where like they're carrying the beam and they're like uh, that shot where they're carrying the beam and you can see all their faces as they like talk to Wyatt about it. It's great. I love it. There's something almost like Monty Python-esque in it. Like it's, it's almost like at the level of just absurdity to like the way they jump to violence. And there's, there's something about the, a lot of like the violence in this film kind of feels purposely kind of like absurd or silly. I mean, of course, later you you have some more like serious shootouts, but these sort of mob violence scenes are, they're a lot more silly than you would think. And it's, it, it makes me laugh. <laughs> it's just so absurd. And then, you, and then it's juxtaposed with the next scene, which is a very serious scene in which they're like in a, in a saloon and the actor guy, he's like, um, kind of like performing Shakespearean soliloquies 
uh, to uh, a bunch of guys, including the um, the Canton brothers, who are like making fun of them and they're shitting on him. Um, and he like recites like the Macbeth uh, monologue, right? Uh, Hamlet. To be or not to be. Hamlet, sorry. Yeah, to be or not to be. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. Because <laughs> he's like, they walk in, like Doc Holliday and White Ear, if they walk in and they listen to him and he's like, I can't finish it. And then like a Doc Holliday, he comes in to like finish it, uh, finish the uh, monologue, which is like a beautiful, it's a beautiful moment. So that's what the John Ford movies are all about too. They have like really great moments and just have really nice, beautiful moments in which people are like singing songs or dancing or like, doing like a play or something like that reciting poetry like i don't know why but like his movies all have like these like little like moments in which like people are doing like things other than shooting each other or talking you know what i mean yeah it's a really beautiful i mean of course perhaps one of shakespeare's most famous monologues although there's a lot of shakespeare references in here they reference othello they reference macbeth of course here they're referencing hamlet it's such a touching and beautiful moment and again shows how kind of complex the character of doc holiday is you know on one side he's this down and out doctor suffering with consumption who has kind of gone to the dark side but on the other hand he's like this beautiful poet who loves shakespeare and is this really kind and generous soul yeah really why Earp seems it comes across more simple and less complicated than uh, Doc Holliday does. Yeah, and and, and and of course, like that scene is um, White Earp. He uh, he concludes the scene by shooting at someone. And then like uh, the Clanton father, he like whips his like brothers, like, if you're going to shoot them, you're, you'll kill them, you know? That's a great line. What is it? It's like, uh, if you're going to pull a gun on someone, make sure they're dead. Yeah, yeah, make sure they're dead. Yeah, yeah, you shoot. If you're going to like pull your gun, you better fucking kill them. Yeah. <laughs> right after this, you get like, and throughout the movie, you get amazingly composed shots of um, white Earps sitting on a porch. <laughs> yeah, so pretty. It's so beautiful. I don't know why, but like, I don't know. These are like some of the greatest like composed shots of all time. You know what I mean? Like, you know, once again, like just kind of talk about visual, you know, Ford, his, 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 his visuals are painterly. They're very poetic. They're unbelievable. It sounds like kind of like pretentious to say that they're poetic because it's like, what does that even mean? But I don't know. You just kind of have to watch it. I find his visual style sort of similar to uh, some of Kurosawa's stuff. He's someone who's very interested in landscapes. Yeah, they like uh, in the in the John Ford documentary, they talk about like, um, uh, actually, I don't know if it was the John Ford documentary, but it might have been John Milius in another documentary I watched where he talked about like John Milius is telling the story like, like you know kurosawa is asked like what painters what japanese like painters was he inspired by um uh, regarding his movies visually and kurosawa just said like oh no i just watched the movies of john ford like i studied the movies of john ford like he's completely like a dead like yeah i mean there's definitely some really strong and of course you know right kurosawa kind of made a lot of um his samurai movies are very similar to the the westerns of john ford's era so there's definitely a lot there but i think a lot of it has to do with the way, you know, this kind of juxtaposition of these really large, beautiful landscapes. And of course, John Ford worked almost exclusively in a 4-3 aspect ratio, which is a really challenging aspect ratio to work in when you're shooting uh, these like large scenes because it's hard to make things look right big. Yeah, yeah. I think in My Darling Clementine, like, it, you know, it takes place in one town. So I think he still is able to accomplish a lot, even with the aspect ratio challenges, because it's it's pretty low key movie. And and once again, like the movie's in black and white, and I think he really does a good job at like utilizing like shadows and stuff like that. Like it's a very shadowy movie. It's a very dark, shadowy movie. It's very like it's a low key movie. Like I said, in terms of just like it being in, you know, having kind of like the smallish cast and in one single town. And yeah, I think he's able to accomplish a lot with just kind of kind of like this low key setting. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of stuff that's framed within another frame, like everything very often whenever he's shooting, right, whenever he's shooting uh, inside the town. Especially doorways. Yeah, he loves, he absolutely loves doorways and kind of, you know, the sun shooting in or whatever. But then also like just the sense of everything kind of, um, you know, within already, right, fourth aspect ratio, everything's kind of already pushed in a bit. But then on top of that, they'll often like be uh, within like a building or they'll be, you know, uh, everything kind of is like framed 
within something else like you know uh rafters or whatever and whenever he's sitting there of course right you have like the beautiful kind of rafters that like kind of go around him and kind of uh shape and mold the scene and and henry fonda just looks so so goddamn cool uh just sitting there <laughs> looks he looks fucking awesome yeah and i mean in this scene is when um this scene where he's sitting on the porch is when clementine arrives and immediately he's taken with her he's like oh okay uh, uh what's up and she's like oh i'm trying to find like doc holiday like dr john holiday <laughs> or not doc holiday john holiday dr john holiday and, and, and he's like oh yeah he lives here and you know she goes and she's able to get into his room and she's kind of like looking around and it's clear like you don't even have they don't really even like explain that much at all about this relationship we just know that like she is like probably like a like a previous girlfriend of john holiday and john holiday probably just like kind of like disappeared left her you know has didn't tell her anything about where he was going and considering what she says too, like he's also like a doctor, right? Like I think she says like he was a surgeon. So he kind of has like this previous life before he became like a sick kind of uh, sickly gambler shoot him, uh, shooter guy. Yeah, there's that great line where she walks into his room and there's a picture of her and on the wall is like his medical license or like medical degrees or whatever. She asks about like him as a surgeon and... uh you know, basically his response is, you know, if he's a surgeon, like I've never seen him do it before. Like you kind of, it's a really great way of, again, because I, I think a lot of ways our, our protagonist here is Doc Holliday, right? He's kind of the mysterious, he's the great Gatsby type figure. He's so much more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like why, like, you know who he is from like the very beginning, right? He's just like this, you know, uh, cool, level-headed, totally chill, totally chill, morally, like, you know, his compass is always pointing in the right direction. We always know like kind of where he's he's leading. But Doc Holliday is just this extremely complicated figure. And the way we learn stuff about him almost is never actually from Doc Holliday himself because he's, you know, he's like a kind of classic manly, like doesn't like to talk about his past or anything. But I love the way that we kind of learn about his past, you know, through Clementine, through Chihuahua, through uh, all these different characters. And kind of we get these like snippets of who he is, right? Like this is the first time we actually learn that he's like, an actual doctor like we're like 30 minutes into this film not even we're like 45 at this point honestly the movie the movie the movie honestly like even though the movie is like very low-key you know it's very low-key there's not like a fuck ton of action you know the, the movie the movie you know it, it goes by very quick you know it's a very uh it, it, it definitely um even though like it really is just kind of like a love it's really kind of like two different stories too. You have the murder story of his brother in which Wyatt Earp is upset with his brother and he has to find out who did it. And then you have the Clementine story, right? Where it's kind of like this love square kind of with like Wyatt Earp and Clementine and Chihuahua and Doc Holliday. That's pretty much completely separate from like the murder story. Yeah, they're definitely, I guess you're right. They're basically just two separate stories and Clementine I don't know if she's still in love. I mean, I guess she is still in love with Doc Holliday to a certain extent, but I guess it's more like she wants closure because Doc Holliday seems to have uh, repeatedly kind of run out, like kind of just jumps from town to town. And that's kind of his his threat, right? Is if Clementine doesn't leave, he's just going to move on to another town and she'll never see him again. Yeah, and, and they have like a conversation about this and he's just like, look, just leave. <laughs> like, he's just like, go away. And you have that great moment too, where he goes into his apartment and he like takes a shot and he like throws a shot glass at his uh, degree. And like that scene, that scene looks great. It's so shadowy. It's great whenever they drink, especially when Doc Holiday drinks. Cause again, you know, he and in Tombstone, he also drinks a lot. And they kind of say like, Doc, like there's one scene where like he's with the do doctor. He doesn't, by the way, like him being a doctor, I don't think is an aspect in the movie for whatever reason in the Tombstone movie. But they're like, Doc, like, you're gonna die like you probably should stop like drinking so much and he's just like whatever like <laughs> they're they, they're also like really good friends in tombstone in the tombstone movie uh doc holiday and um white ear they're like best friends and like he's even there on his like deathbed at the end of the movie just to kind of spoil it real quick he like he's like on his deathbed and he's dying and uh and white ear is there honestly it's like a very like really nice scene like it it's a it's a it's a good movie but yeah it's a very different and <laughs> like how it's like he's like on his deathbed and he's like there but again you know doc holiday is just this very mysterious character and you know that when he drinks like it's he just looks awful because he's he's coughing he's like stumbling around he just looks like absolute garbage 
Yeah, you don't even, yeah. Once again, like you don't need a, like a character to say like, doc, you got to stop drinking. You're going to die. Like, you know, we understand that like he's like sick with something and he feels like shit and he's like drinking a lot. And, you know, he's like upset about like Clementine and also Chihuahua is like kind of bothering him a little bit, even though he does like, like her a lot, you know? So he's a disintegrating character. But basically he demands that Clementine leaves and Chihuahua also at, at this point in the film just, despises clementine which i guess that's a fair point like she's in love with with doc holiday and she sees clementine as kind of this just like figure from the past i guess you could see clementine and chihuahua is kind of uh two sides of the coin right where chihuahua is kind of the uh you know classic western bad girl and clementine's you know you're kind of more civilized preppy right from like fucking boston or whatever yeah yeah like sweet person yeah yeah from the east coast i was talking earlier about um like kind of like these like really great like kind of like moments that he um puts into his movies where like it's like moments in which people aren't talking or doing any action um it's more just kind of like these spielberg says in the documentary he says a word he like uses a certain word for it that he describes it and i'm trying to think what it is I wish I remember the word like it's a common word like it's like it's not like a like a made up word or anything like that it's like I don't know it's just like kind of like these moments like I said where you know they're just kind of like doing things other than you know talking or shooting um and it's like you know you get that moment where where I love that I love when um Henry Fonda he comes across Clementine and they play the song you know the the my darling Clementine song and and they like kind of like talk and they meet um after I think like Henry Fonda like he gets like a shave or whatever Wyatt Earp does and uh, they decide to go to the uh, the dance, the jamboree or whatever for like the church. Yeah, for the church they're building. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like they go to the church and it's like they're having a party, but it's just like the wooden frame and the bell and stuff, which is kind of funny. But it's kind of nice. It's like uh, I guess there's not like not much to do, right? So it's like, well, we could just have like a like a jamboree, like a dance, and it's a great moment, you know, where they have like their dance. It's just like a good, nice, fun, kind of good-hearted, realistic. Yeah, maybe not realistic, but you know what I mean. It's just like a good, like, it's just like a good scene that kind of, you know, all it does is kind of like understand that like they're kind of strengthening their relationship and they're kind of doing a little dance. It's uh it's uh, it's really great. It's really awesome. Yeah, his films always feel really sincere. And I don't mean that in like the sense of necessarily like it's uh you know, like mushy, but just they feel very honest, not necessarily like in truth but just i guess like in some sort of deeper truth underlying it all and uh you know these moments where uh they go to the church and uh you know they do the little spiel and they dance it's it just feels very uh yeah sincere i guess perhaps sincere isn't necessarily the right word for it but i it just feels right and i think that's something john ford really gets right especially in this film although in a lot of his work is you know he cares so much about his characters and these characters feel just so honest and real and complex and even wyatt you know who's a pretty simple character relative to these other ones like you know he has wants and desires and needs and his love to clementine feels it feels honest i guess is the best way to put it I will say that like the thing that this movie does really well, and I think John Ford really does well with the Western genre and why they're so good is that like, I think the Western genre kind of is like great and kind of establishing this theme and like, kind of like this, like human, like desire of not wanting to be alone. Right. Like the West, like at this time is like, it's like you have like these small towns and stuff and they're like kind of scattered all over. They're not very connected. And like in a movie like My Darling Clementine or other John Ford movies I've seen, everyone kind of has like this, like everyone kind of is like kind of bleeding this like desire of like not wanting to be alone or not wanting to, uh, you know, or wanting to be with someone, right? Like, you know, Chihuahua is a great character because she like, you know, she kind of like is like kind of like it's almost desperate the fact that she doesn't want to be alone and that she wants to, you know, be in a relationship with Doc Holliday, even White Earp has that too because he has like you know the kind of like his you know both two of his brothers die you know what i mean who he loves you know you have that aspect too you have that tragic aspect to it so i think like the west is like yeah just kind of like this like yearning for like something else something better and it's just it's it's perfect in this movie it's pitch perfect yeah absolutely and i think at 
its core, that's what the Western is really all about, right? It's about the human endeavor. It's about human connection and that kind of ability to, because there's something very mythic about the West and especially in John Ford's type of Western, like these characters have almost this mythic quality to them. Yeah, it's legend. They're right. They're, they're taking from all these folk tales and, and of course, like in this, right, Shakespeare and all this stuff and uh, just this huge desire and need for like humans to kind of like right push on westward to like exist and like even like the worst you know in a city called tombstone and find joy and happiness and right at this moment where they're dancing like even though they're in a town called tombstone that's literally in the middle of a desert in the middle of nowhere uh, they still find joy and happiness in it. And that's kind of like the magic of Westerns. You say they find joy and happiness, but I think everybody is just pretty much lonely by the end of the movie. I don't think they find any joy or happiness. I mean, like it's, I mean, how, in what way are people happy by the end of the movie? Well, I mean, Clementine seems to do okay by the end of the movie. I mean, both of her boyfriends, one of them dies and one of them leaves. Yeah, but she starts, she becomes a school marm, which is, she seems happy about it okay <laughs> like i i guess like but white ear you know both of his brothers are dead doc holiday's dead chihuahua's dead yeah there's a lot of dead people i think the movie is like more sad and dark than you let on to be i think it's a, i think it's a very like white ear he doesn't have to leave and and clementine doesn't have to stay either you know they could be together they seem to really like each other but for some reason there's something about it that just keeping them from like doing that and that's i think i found that very sad yeah no i i mean you're definitely right it's it's, it's a very tragic film in a lot of ways, but I, I don't know. There just seems to be something optimistic to me about this ending. Maybe it's just like that last conversation that they have. One day they'll meet again, or I mean, I know like, you know, Doc dies, uh, Chihuahua dies, and then like, you know, all these people die, right? The father and his kids, they all die too. It is tragic, but I don't know. There's something optimistic about this idea of kind of, it's, you know, it's kind of like the, uh, like that kind of like keep on keeping on kind of thing. Like, you know, even despite everything, despite all that, like they continue to live, like they continue to move on and why it's going to continue to, you know, go from town to town and, and help people and, you know, do what he do. Cause that's, that's what he does. And yeah, like him and Clementine, I guess don't end up together, but like they had that moment and I think it works. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like if they like ended up together, that would kind of feel a little, we would feel a little cheated, right? Yeah, I like that they don't end up together. I mean, like it adds to the movie for sure. At one point, uh, White Ear PCs, uh, Chihuahua has like the cross as a necklace that his her his younger brother had, and immediately he's like, "Who like gave you that?" And he's like, "Oh, uh, uh, Doc gave it to me." And he's like, "Let's get him." And I think he left town because I think he's upset about Clementine. I think he just can't handle it anymore. He's like, "I'm gonna leave town," and so yeah, you get this kind of like this kind of mini chase sequence where. Uh, like white ear basically catches up to doc and they kind of have this like uh, a, a mini shootout uh, that lasts like two seconds <laughs> very quick <laughs> he immediately destroys doc holiday which i guess he like shoots the gun i guess he that's what he does yeah he like shoots it out of his hand yeah he doesn't actually like shoot him and then they get back into town and like doc is like chihuahua like who gave it to you i did not give this like i did not give you this thing like why did you say that like i didn't do that she immediately confesses to having uh you know accepted favors from one of the billy clanton one of the clanton brothers the evilest men around shit's real and billy clanton was just in the room so billy clanton is like you know he jumps on a horse and is chased by one of wyatt's brothers in a really great uh just like back and forth uh horse chase i guess i don't know they're riding horses yeah billy like shoots yeah billy like shoots uh chihuahua he gets away but then like um yeah like wyatt's brother uh like goes after him and he shoots him and he dies like at the clanton house and that's a great scene where like yeah he like collapses and then they open the door and he's laying there great scene and yeah the brother like catches up and he like he's kind of stumb he's a little thick he like because he's just like because they're Clans are pretty crazy, obviously. Like, I don't know. At this point, you think they would be kind of like dangerous, but for some reason he decides to go in their house. He walks into the house. He's like, Oh, yep, sorry that he died. And then he gets killed too. It's like, what were you expecting? Like, I don't know. It's the Wild West. I don't know. Yeah, he but he gets shot like right in the back. Right in the back, like right as he turns around. 
God damn. It's fucking payback time. And of course, you uh, you get the sequence too where Doc Holliday is like, I got to use my abilities to save Chihuahua, my my surgery abilities. And you get this whole scene where like, you know, it's good. Like they kind of like have this like loving connection between the two of them where, you know, she's afraid of dying. Yeah, a beautiful scene. Again, uh, the shadows in the scene are absolutely wonderful. It's very well lit, right? It's just like this one spot in this room, in the saloon, well lit. And the rest of it's just like so dark and he's, you know, cutting into her. And of course they don't have like anything to give her. So she's <laughs> in this extraordinary amount of pain because he's basically just like performing surgery on this woman who's wide awake and uh, it's it's a really touching moment, right? You kind of see like Doc kind of like back, right? He he's back. He's he's being in a doctor again. He's doing all, and everyone's like happy, and they're like, you know, they call him Doctor John Holiday. And then of course, like the literally the very next scene is like Chihuahua died. Like they don't show it or anything. It's like he leaves, and she's like fine. And then like he Doc Holiday walks in, you know, to the next scene, and he's like, oh, Chihuahua's dead, and like that's it. Like it's just. And then, and then this next scene too, like uh, the clans show up and they're like, "Hey, like we're gonna be at the OK Corral," which the shootout at OK Corral was, I believe, a real thing that happened. How it happened is up for dispute, but like, yeah, why? They're like, "We'll be at OK Corral," and and so Wyatt is like talking to everybody, and they're like, "All right, we got to go there and fucking kill him." Uh, and and of course, Doc Holliday's there too, saying that Chihuahua died, and of course, he's like, "I'll join you. Let's go. Let's fucking do it." And then and then they have that final shootout scene, which is really the only like proper shootout scene yeah only real action scene in this movie but it's very tense it's so good there's no music which is perfect absolutely no score you know just the way that everybody kind of like runs around is great i fucking love that part where like the like stagecoach goes by and it creates that cloud of dust and so like a white ear is able to kind of like get behind it and shoot him Ooh, that's like it's perfect it looks perfect they got it they're like hiding in like little holes and stuff it's so good it's just such a well choreographed scene like every little part of okay corral is like thought of like okay here they're gonna go here they're gonna go here there's like all these different uh distractions of course like the sound design is beautiful because you kind of hear the different sounds of the desert yeah it's like the sound design of just like the silence of like the area you know and like I said, no music. Perfect. Doc Holliday gets shot because of his coughs and then just killed. Yeah, he had coughs. Yeah, his sickness. Uh, yeah, they like, he gets shown and he gets fucking shot. Poor Doc. But I mean, he has consumption. So like, he's going to die anyways. Consumption was kind of like a death wish at, at that point. Like he didn't, he didn't live. He had consumption. So in a way, he ends up being with... He had to get his revenge. Yeah, he had to get his his revenge and he ends up being with chihuahua in in the end they both they're both dead so i guess yeah, I, I guess if you believe in heaven sure okay <laughs> i like to think that uh, no one was together and that's it you know no one gets together at all not even in after dying yeah like i said great gunfight one of the greatest gunfights of all time especially i love the right the very final thing all of the brothers are dead the clinton father's the only one's alive and why it's like, I'm not going to kill you because then you'll have to know what it's like, like what my pa has to live through every day. His, his one brother, his oldest brother is still alive. Not the Wyatt brother, not Wyatt's brothers. The Clanton brothers are all dead. Yeah. Yeah. The Clanton brothers, the everybody dead. Yeah. Because he's not going to kill the father. So the father gets on a horse and he's riding away. And then of course he can't help himself. He can't do it. He can't do it. Yeah. He has to, he has to get the last shot in. And he gets fucking gunned down. He sure does. And that's it. That's the end of the clans. <laughs> and that's it. That's the. It's not. A, it's also like it's a great like gunfight, but it's not really like the most heroic gunfight in the world. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of sad. It's like a very sad gunfight. It's a really depressing gunfight. Yeah, it's a very melancholic gunfight. Even though, again, right, John Ford's really interested in kind of good and bad and good and evil and all that. Like, even though it's very clear, like the Clanton father's like a really awful human being like all of his sons are just like they're just doing like they're not really fighting for anything like there's no cause here there's no like reason for like all these sons other than like their dad told them to they like just want, they just wanted to steal the cattle yeah and just kind of do whatever they want like there's no like righteousness here and like when they die there's no like grand like we killed the bad guy it's just kind of just kind of sad yeah it's just like it's just like uh there all of this is just like acts of revenge which which sucks because it's not going to bring the the dead people back, so just more dead people. And I mean, that's pretty much it, right? Clementine and Wyatt had their last little combo, in which Clementine's a school marm, and Wyatt's off to another town to 
do it all over again. And then, you know, the, I think you said he's like going back East. He was just going to go see his like family or his like father or something like that. Or yeah, he's going to go see like his dad, his pa, his pa. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, he's just like, all right, see you later. And like I said, like to me, I find it very sad because once again, I find it to be a misconnection, a missed opportunity. And instead they, they part ways. That's it. You know what I mean? Like there's this just kind of like, there's just kind of like this yearning there between all with all the characters yeah and like i like how he gets on his horse he's like clementine i sure do love that name you know and he rides away and you know he's the he's the he's a quintessential john ford protagonist you know he he shows up for a couple days in town he does his thing and then he leaves and that's the movie the the end comes comes on the screen and yes sir that's it that's john ford's my darling clementine i love john ford truly one of the greatest directors of all time his films are always just so beautiful and he just understands the western in a way that really i don't think any other director does and this is john ford at his best right here i mean as we've talked about repeatedly it just looks absolutely beautiful the lighting is magnificent it looks at simultaneously ginormous and tiny Henry Fonda, one of the greats, gives an incredible performance here, although all of the performances are really well done here. The music is great. The sound design is wonderful. The acts of violence feel very true and honest. And even though there isn't a whole lot of shootouts, perhaps like some of other John Ford stuff, they feel a lot heavier than they do in a lot of Westerns. You know, when there are shootouts in this film, uh, they feel very intense, and there is sort of this underlying darkness to it, and you know there are some very sad aspects to it. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I just feel like there's something about it, like the the optimism of like, you know, there's going to be another day, there's going to be a tomorrow. I just I love it, and it's just so beautiful and so wonderful. You know, it takes me back to the days of of. Uh, watching films when I was a kid because my you know, grandparents were really into Westerns. So I saw a lot of John Ford as a kid and it's just something very nostalgic about the whole experience. So I have to give this film a nine out of 10. Yeah, no, I got to give it a nine out of 10 too. But like, it's like, it's like edging on a 10 out of 10 because I really do feel like it is like one of the best Westerns I've ever seen in my entire life. It really is that good. You know, I'm not capping, but you know, I think it really is the best looking black and white movie you know, top three, top five, one of the best looking black, black and white movies ever created, you know, just from a visual standpoint, it's worth watching. And yeah, I just think like his like, kind of like, you know, the view, his kind of like um, perspective on like the American Western is just like, really like, I don't know, it's still, it's, I think it's still like achieves what it's trying to achieve. And I think that, you know, Ford is like really concerned with the characters and like kind of like he's really concerned with, you know, just like their their yearning and their um their their complications. And, you know, you know, his movies, you know, they don't explain a lot. They really don't go into a lot of detail. They're pretty, you know, his movies like they don't have like a ton of dialogue. They don't have like a lot of action, but you know, but they say so much. And, you know, that's just extremely impressive. And yeah, just one of the best Westerns like of all time, easily. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. You can find this podcast wherever you hear podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at With Nothing to Say Pod. And you can find anything I do at Austin Lugo12. Yeah, I'm on Twitter at ADHarp24 and Letterboxd at RetroAndrew, R E T R Zero Andrew. And thank you all for listening. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to another incredible episode of With Nothing to Say. This community is built by and of and for you. So thank you all for listening. And before we go, just a quick shout out to our incredible editor, Shannon Mitchell. They are one of the greatest editors in the industry, and we really could not do it without you. So thank you, Shannon. And until next week.